0: Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation podcast. My name is Miriam Niehaus, and I'm the Head of Collaboration and Partnerships here at the International Civil Society Center. For those of you who don't have video or are visually impaired, I'm standing here in our office in front of a gray wall next to our logo, and I'm wearing a purple shirt and a black blazer. I'll be your moderator for today, for the fifth day of Global Perspectives as we are looking at decolonizing aid and our organizational structures. I would now like to introduce our keynote speaker to you. Her name is Melissa Wainaina. She is the Feminist Republic Creative Facilitator from the Urgent Action Fund. Melissa is an African feminist An artist based in Kenya and involved in girls and women's collectives that advance human rights and creative bodies of work. With that, I hand over to you, Melissa.
1: Thank you so much uh, for the invitation and um, hello, everyone. I'm not sure how many time zones we have represented, but it's an honor to be in this space have the honor of just sharing some few thoughts as you go through your day and um, think about what is uh, inspiring you to decolonize our futures as we think about the sector of aid and uh, philanthropy. As indicated by Miriam, I work at the Argent Action Fund Africa, and we are a feminist Pan-African Rapid Response Fund. Uh, we are committed to transforming power relations through resourcing African feminists, women human rights defenders, and their formations as an act of solidarity. And I'd like to also mention that we are part of an ecosystem of feminists and women's movements in Africa and globally. And today, I'd like to just begin by looking at how the COVID pandemic has really unearthed the vast power imbalances and the huge inequality gaps and the adverse effects of our declining global economies. So I do think it's necessary to engage in some very candid conversations about the way we work, the way we think, the way we influence each other in the new world order. In fact, my suggestion is that our relevance in a post-pandemic world depends on our ability to challenge the current dominant worldview and the power that is divisive and the power that expands rather than bridging the gaps of inequality. And so what what are some of the questions I'm considering in my small remarks how, for instance, do we dismantle the vestiges of colonialism that exist in systems and structures in philanthropy and aid and in the development sector as, as a whole? Also, how do we rethink development? How do we reevaluate the hierarchies of value in knowledge production, in collaborations? And then, in all this, what does solidarity actually look like? And I have a few suggestions. For one, I think we really need to challenge the colonial tropes that uh, we practice in our attitudes, in our workspace, in our work culture. And to be honest, the aid flows are what they are. They are primarily coming from former colonizers to formerly colonized regions. And so it comes as no surprise that decision making is often concentrated at the global north. So it's important to also look at things like the white savior ideologies and the perpetual white gaze as the lens through which our interventions are designed as harmful and frankly dangerous. And in this kind of setting, often we see that local and indigenous knowledge and wisdom is often devalued. So some of the ways we could counter this is it's important to have participatory approaches with those we, we serve, those we, we, we work with. Think about more equitable partnerships, have more consultative processes. Some considerations that we constantly need to have in our processes is, is looking at power, looking at who's managing the money, who's making the decisions, and who has the last say. And also we need to think about decolonizing and reframing our narratives around development. And as we know, language is deeply political. Uh, It gives meaning to how we articulate our perspectives. And so it's vital for us to reformulate narratives that present a more nuanced, more complex picture or account that aligns with the so-called on the ground realities. And so how we speak, how we depict, how we describe people, the imagery really plays a huge role in reinforcing racist, sexist and classist stereotypes. And I also think it's really important, especially as you think about your conversations today, to name and give life to some of the problems that we are experiencing so that we can address them. Um, As you know, there have been so much developments, including significant uh, intergenerational articulations to undo and unravel the effects of colonialism, be it from feminists, from indigenous people, and other social justice movements in Africa. Some of us have witnessed old and new calls for structural change in aid and philanthropy sectors, including making anti-racist commitments individually and as organizations. And actually, this is what I'm suggesting might be able to determine our ability to remain relevant and contending with the past and thinking about the future we want. And let me give you a tangible example, which is relevant to some of our work, say, as the fund. We experienced it as we needed to respond very swiftly swiftly to the pandemic. One of the things we needed to do was remain nimble and make serious considerations on supporting both practical and strategic needs of our local partners. As you know, globally, the response to curb the spread of the virus was very restrictive. The mitigating measures meant social distancing, curfews, lockdowns, accompanied by really heightened policing and securitization. And as we also know, much of the global south are not welfare states, and therefore lacking in social protections. Therefore, actually, for very many people, the COVID mitigation measures did not even begin to deal with the material concerns associated with the pandemic. And the most vulnerable, the most poor were grappling with the real threat of illness, death, alongside concerns about income, food, housing, and clean water. And so, frankly speaking, if in non-welfare states would actually say non-welfare states would have been in dire straits had it not been for the intervention of feminist aid philanthropic programs who really adopted quickly and responsively to mitigate those material impacts of COVID-19, such as loss of income, food, housing, and really their well-being concerns. So I'm coming into this space saying I strongly believe that a feminist leadership modeling uh, on a philanthropic approach that really values and respects and cares for its people is the way to go. And it's important to pay attention to structures so that our politics and our values are embedded in both our internal work culture as ICOs and also externally as we collaborate and and do partnership work. So rounding back to how the fund works, uh, we work 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Our fastest grant was provided in under two hours in Tunisia at the height of the revolution. And the only way we were able to do this is, yes, we are a virtual organization, yes, we, our staff are 70, uh, we are dispersed in about 17 countries in Africa. Between us, we speak about 38 African languages, yes, including the AU official languages, Swahili, English, French, Arabic, and so on. And also have a network of over 200 advisors around the continent. So during the pandemic, it was very necessary for us as a response to enhance our staff well-being policies. And that allowed us to be able to encourage staff to plan and meet the work demands that were really high and still have time to re-energize. So shorter work weeks, flexi work arrangements so that we can accommodate the new care, uh, increased uh, home roles, working from home support, on-demand psychosocial support. These were all possible because of something important. We deeply valued those we serve and those who we do this work for. We needed to walk the talk. So, Some of the ways in which we were able to support defenders was incubating a project we call Feminist Republic Platform, which is a project that's geared towards learning and practice and mobilizing and building components of care and healing justice, and a movement culture around care, and building resilience with feminists and defenders. In my conclusion, I do not come into the space with solutions to today's problems. I come with a provocation. I come to inspire you to think about how we can recalibrate, how we can uh, work different, how we can think different, how we can act different and think about a decolonized ICSO that truly abandons the charity mindset. It acknowledges the agency of the communities for which it serves, and it stops looking at them as mere beneficiaries. So Let me end by asking you as you go into the next session, how you would center care as the major currency to redistribute power and bridge the gaps of inequality, with the social justice work that you are doing. Thank you. Over to you, Miriam.
0: Thank you so much, Melissa, for those wonderfully inspiring words uh, and thoughtful provocations uh, and insights into your work as well.